This, this passage can be found in the book of Acts, scene 27, chapter 27, verses 13 to 44. This can be found on page double one, two, five. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Corda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have been spared, you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen, just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. 
fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed, and thank you for reading. Uh, that is such a exciting story, and there's no way that you can only read a bit of it. Um, so um, I'm sure that the sailors, when they were drifting around in the Adriatic Sea, asked themselves, 
are we nearly there yet? Don't know if they quite knew where there was at that point, and they were just hoping that there was somewhere. And another question that they might have asked themselves was, where is God in this? Um, you should all have got, or most of you will have got on your pews uh, a, a picture. Um, it's not where's Wally, it's where's Jesus. Um, if we can stick it up on the screen for those, there's a few pews that didn't get one. Um, if we can stick one up on the screen. Now, don't worry, we're not going to wait here while we all uh, try and figure out where Jesus is. Has anyone found Jesus? I mean, in this picture. Has anyone found, first of all, has anyone found Jesus? Oh dear, I'm a bit worried about that response. Has anyone found Jesus? Yay! Now, in this picture, has anyone found Jesus? Anyone? He's got a purple coat, he's got a beard, and a halo that's very hard to see. Is he in the boat? Well, let's see. Can we see the next slide? Yeah! There's Jesus. Jesus is in the boat. Um, it, is, it is so easy for us to find ourselves in circumstances where we're saying, where is Jesus? Um, when we look at the state of the world, when we look at newspapers, when we look at uh, the commitments that are or aren't being made at climate summits when we look at the times of trouble in our own lives and we see things just not working out the way that we hoped, we might find ourselves asking that question, where is Jesus? Is God causing these terrible things to happen? Are my circumstances some sort of terrible punishment? Or is this all part of God's plan? Because if it's punishment, it seems very cruel. And if it's God's plan, then I'm frankly very infuriated. Where is God when all of our certainties come falling apart? Um, and don't worry, if you're asking these questions, you are in very, very good company indeed. Because Jesus on the cross asked, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they are questions that Paul and Luke may well have found themselves asking when they were, well, when they were beaten, when they were threatened, when they were put on trial, and then put on trial again, when they were stuck aboard a ship in chains as the sailors battled to try and get some control of the ship. How on earth did we get? here. It's a really exciting passage because they set sail at this dangerous time of year and the sailors hadn't listened to Paul. Why should they? He was just a prisoner. Although the interesting truth is that by this point he was a very experienced traveler. Uh, he had uh, probably done, someone worked it out, not me, someone worked out that he's probably traveled about 3,500 miles at sea by this point in Acts. But the sailors don't know that. Instead, they set sail and they found themselves caught in this terrible storm. And they're doing everything that they can to regain control of the boat. They're chucking stuff off the side of the boat. They're hauling the rigging off, which usually you'd think the rigging's probably quite important. Um, they're, they're pulling in the lifeboat, which they're sort of dragging along behind them. And then they're lowering the sea anchor 
Now, uh, can someone who's under, let's say, under 16, tell me what an anchor is for? Not a trick question. Yeah? Yeah, to keep the boat where it is. It's just a big thing with some spikes on it that you chuck in the water, and when you don't want the boat to move, you chuck it into the water. Now, this anchor, this sea anchor, wasn't just like a normal anchor that you lower and you sit there. This is like a huge stone and steel thing that they, they would push. They'd, they'd push it off the boat and it would go into the sea and it would drag in the water and maybe on the bottom of the, on the seabed. And it would just be doing everything they could to try and slow the boat down or get some control of the boat. And there was no getting it back. Once you've chucked it off, it's far too heavy to pull back. So they just had to cut it off and, you know, that, that was it. They had one shot at using the sea anchor. Um, and it, this is just a picture of them people in desperation, in absolute crisis. They're trying everything they can. They are willing to sacrifice all of those things which usually protect them for the sake of an uncertain end. So I've taken my theological training, and I've done an analysis of this text. I've done some exegesis and looked at the Greek, and I've examined the historical context. And here's the deep theological insight that I can tell you from this passage. Sometimes the Christian life isn't all plain sailing. Seems fairly obvious now I say it. Being called to follow Jesus doesn't make us immune to hardship. It doesn't even always make sense of our suffering. And there are some churches out there who will tell us that if we just believe the right things, if we say the right prayers, if we give money to the right people, then our lives will be easier. And it's just not true. It's not true for us, and it wasn't true for Paul and for Luke. Sometimes life is hard. We live in a broken world, and things just come at us in our lives, in our relationships, at school, in the workplace, in our communities, and on our planet. For those of us uh, who are heading out in mission, whether it's in Thermiston or in Netherhall or anywhere else, Things will be rocky at times. We will run into difficulties. We will not be able to find the person with the keys to open the school hall when we need it. We will not have the people that we need when we need them. We will have the people we need, but we will find that they are falling out with one another. Or people's lives will just become difficult and complicated, and we will feel like we're in the middle of a storm. There is no escaping that things are not always as they should be. The storm isn't always calmed. And we get carried in all sorts of directions that we didn't hope or plan for. And as we go, we might find ourselves shedding all sorts of baggage just to stay afloat. And we become more and more vulnerable to the storm in the hope that sooner or later we will find land. And like the crew of the ship, we may give up all hope of being saved. It's interesting that an anchor 
was an image that was used by Christians in the early church and is still used around the world. And it's sort of an anchor with a cross on it to remind us that where maybe other people are throwing their anchors and trying to find ways of stabilizing or of, of securing the ship, we have a hope in Jesus Christ that is different to all others. And my hope and my prayer is that like Paul, we will be anchored in that hope, which knows that it's not looking to be saved because it already has been saved. And it's going to sustain us through even the stormiest of circumstances. Because Paul doesn't join the sailors in despair. And instead, he says several times, take up your courage. What does courage mean? Who do we think of when we think of courage? Oh, hand right up there. Go for it. Being brave and... Being brave and keeping going. Yeah. Who do we think of when we think of courage? I've got some pictures to put up on the screen. Can we have them? Here's some people. Can anyone tell me who these people are? Oh. Hands up. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Rosa Parks. Good, good work. That's the one on the top left. Who else have we got? Nelson Mandela, thank you, we all know it. Who's the one on the bottom left? Yeah? Bottom left. Greta Thunberg. Uh, and then who's this guy? Here, on the, on the right. I can't get my left and right ready right today. Who's, who's this guy? Yeah, William Wilberforce. So these are people who have stood up for the things they believe in. We've got some more here that might, you might appeal to you if you're thinking about the Bible. Next, next slide, please. These are people who are in that song in all through history. We've got David and Goliath. And we've got Daniel in the lion's den. And there was a, there was a writer called Ernest Hemingway. Some of you may have heard of him. Uh, and he called courage grace under pressure. Grace under pressure. What does Paul do in the middle of all of this pressure? He takes some bread. He breaks the bread. Oh, he gives thanks. He breaks it. He says grace. Here, with, all, with the boat drifting and the storm raging... Paul literally says grace under pressure. He gives thanks. He gives thanks for the food they've got. He compels everyone to eat because they've just been running on adrenaline. And he recognizes that they won't make it if they don't take care of themselves. So we could split hairs about what Paul is doing there. Is he just feeding everyone and being a little bit bold about praying in public? Is it communion? Well, it's certainly not a 1045 communion because... You know, all of the people there are guards and prisoners, most of whom would have worshipped pagan gods. But I have no doubt that Luke chose these words for a reason. He took some bread. He gave thanks to God in front of them all, and he broke it. Because Luke had written exactly those words once before. 
Back in Luke 22, 19, Jesus says those words at the Last Supper. So in among the turmoil, surrounded by uncertainty and anxiety, is this moment of grace when, Jesus, when Paul points to Jesus. He has the courage to express the grace and goodness of God under the pressure of uncertainty and fear, not by offering platitudes or telling them that, well, everything happens for a reason, but simply by embodying the hospitality, the goodness of Christ to those people around him. Because he's not just giving thanks for the bread, he's giving thanks for the faithful of, faithfulness of God. That seems quite mad. That seems like a very mad thing to do when you're in the middle of a storm, is to stop and give thanks to God. But it's what Paul does. Um, and what happens to the 276 people who receive this hospitality? They are encouraged. They are given courage. They're not lifted magically out of their circumstances and placed on dry land. There isn't a sudden calming of the waves, but there is a moment where they receive God's provision with thankfulness, and they are given the courage to go on. And we, as followers of Christ, are called to receive and to offer this grace in the midst of our communities. Not to deny the realities that we or anyone else is facing, not to minimize them, but to affirm that Christ comes among us in the depths of our despair. We worship, we worship a Lord who suffers with us. As a family, Linda and Esme and I have a little practice that we do at the end of every day. I don't know if anyone else does this when they're saying their prayers at the end of the day. We gather together and we name things that we are thankful for. And sometimes it's really significant things, like someone who has recovered from illness, or maybe from seeing family that we haven't seen for a long time. And more often, it's mundane things like the food that we've eaten that afternoon, or the gruffalo. But whatever it is, we give thanks to God for them. And we've had some rough times as a family, and there have been times when it's been hard to see where God is at work in our situation. But even in the hardest moments, we try to give thanks together because we are practicing gratitude. We are looking for those moments of grace so that our lives can stand as a testament to God's grace in a broken world. Now, the final thing that I want to say comes with a little bit of a content warning, because I really don't want you to hear this. If you're in the midst of the storm, I don't want you to hear this and think that I'm minimizing what it is you're going through. I don't want you to feel like in any way I'm telling you, well, cheer up, because things will get a lot better. How you feel and the impact that your life and circumstances have on you really matters. And if you're finding things hard, there is no grace in pretending that everything is fine. Or bottling up our worries or acting like we're just not feeling it. 
This shipwreck was challenging to Paul and his companions. For those that owned the boat, they lost a boat. And for the people who were prisoners, they were still prisoners, and everyone nearly lost their lives. But they came out of it alive, something that I'm sure Luke was very glad of. And looking back at the experience, Luke seemed to think that this whole event was worthy of being included in his history of the beginnings of the church. There's something really exciting about this story, and not just because it's got storms and sailors and shipwrecks and exciting things like that. There's something exciting about seeing God at work, seeing God doing something even out of the most oppressive of circumstances. Yes, everyone reached land safely, but also the good news of Jesus spread. And we'll read, in, as we go on, we'll read how it spread in Malta, where they were shipwrecked. And then it spread in Rome, where Paul was still a prisoner, but found that he was given quite a lot of freedom and permission to still carry on preaching the gospel. When we have passed through the stormier parts of our lives and we cast our minds back over events, we may often find that God was present and at work in surprising ways even when we didn't notice it. Of course, on this side of eternity, we'll never have a full picture of what God's doing. But we know that God is in the business of restoring all things. That God is present even when we are least aware of it. Even in the most seemingly God-forsaken moments. And I found that it's in these moments and in these trials that God is drawing us ever closer. Luke knows, and I hope we know, that being a Christian is far from plain sailing. But he and Paul were de determined to witness to the grace of God even in the midst of all their trials. So let's be on the lookout for those moments of grace. Even as we set sail in treacherous waters, let's trust in a God who is faithful and will bring us safe to shore. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks that even in the hardest times, you are present with us. Even when we can't see where you are, you are with us. And that by your grace, you are restoring all things to yourself, and working to fulfill your purposes. Be with us no matter what storms we are facing and help us to see your goodness at work as we cast our minds back over the events that we have experienced. Be with us all in Jesus' name. Amen.